what the what the Gemara was speaking about earlier was the idea that it's not normal for a Jew to be living in a in a courtyard as the only Jew living in a courtyard because they'll be afraid that the non-Jews they were chayshid on shli chastama they were chayshid that they might come to kill a Jew. And this is something that the Gemara by Desire makes clear something that was true and it was a reality of those days. The Meiri says that, that that was a reality of those times. It's not always a reality. The Redak says something similar. Uh, this is something which changes. However, when the time that Chazal made their Takanas and they were working out exactly what, when you need an Eruv, when you don't need an Eruv. So they talked about the case of when you have a Jew living in a courtyard with no other Jews and it's, so he's the only Jew. It's not a typical case. Therefore, they wouldn't make any Takana, any enactment say that we have to be concerned for this case because it was so atypical because nobody would ever do that out of fear for their lives. So Gemara says, is that true that whenever there's a that the sages do not make enactments for those types of cases? So he came and he said over this, this uh, halacha in front of Rava. Amrle, so he said to him at the bottom, right? Saying we're turning the page now to 64a. Im came, but how the well, if indeed your this, this halacha is true, that as long as they are, um, as long as they would be uh, uh, renounce their ability to carry into that courtyard, then basically what you're doing is that entire law of eruv has gone away from a maboy. Right? Why? Because what will happen is, um, because so if it's it, one person living there, right, then there's no need for an Arab at all, right? Right. So I'm not sure what the issue is. Let me, let me, let's, let's read a little further. Maybe we can come out there. So what will happen is the people who make an Arab would say that an Arab works even in a place where there are non-Jews living there. So you have to say that the case will be that... Um, one second. What we have to say is that they, they would make an Arab, but the Arab was not really necessary, and that's not really what permitted them to carry. What really permitted them to carry is you don't need an Arab here at all on a Torah level. On a Torah level, it's really just a Yachid. Lumar says, well, okay, then how are they going to know that you're allowed to carry here? Because of the fact that it, they weren't included in the Takana. Whereas as well, they will, they will announce it to each other, essentially, right? The Rashi says, Rashi explains, you should know that this Eruv, the Eruv is not really what's working over here. And the reason why we're allowed to carry out from our courtyards into this Mavoy is because it's an atypical case. So the Gemara says, well, okay, the, these announcements work for the, that generation. What about the next generation? Right? The next generation is not going to help. The next generation, the children are going to see that we're carrying. And they're not going to know about this hachraza, that this announcement that we're allowed to carry is atypical. And they're going to think you're always allowed to carry without an Eruv. And then you're going to take away the entire laws of Eruv and it'll never apply anymore because the next generation won't be able to differentiate. They're not going to be there for everything that you're saying. Elam Rava, so rather Rava argues. Lezel Chadminayu, so one of the, of the people living in this, um, the, the, the courtyard adjacent to the Mabe, what should you do? The Karev so he should go over and he should become close to the non-Jew. And then what should he do? He should ask from him, uh, not ask him, he should borrow from him a, a place. And then he should put something into that area that is his. Okay. Now, then what, what happens? Once he does that, then he becomes he takes on the status of a, of a, of a, um, 
the, the worker or the kite, right? The kite, uh, a sire is a paid laborer, and a lekite is someone who does, uh, who gathers stuff for him. So what happens over there? Um, says like this. So now you have, you have three houses opening up into this alleyway, right? Two of them are owned by Jews, one of them is owned by a non-Jew. So one of those Jews should go over to the non-Jew and say, hey, can I please have space in your storage? I want to take some storage space in your shed. I'm putting my uh, vacuum cleaner in your shed. Okay? When he does that, he's now taking on the status of someone who is working for the non-Jew. Okay? Since that has happened, the halacha is that even if you're not even if you're just the worker of the non-Jew, you're allowed to contribute to the Erev and thereby rendering it a good Erev. So now what, essentially what you're doing is the, even the portion that the non-Jew owns is also considered like it is, like it contributed to the Erev because his worker contributed to the Erev and that's already enough. So let's say you have in there, let's say you have five different Jews working or living in the house of a non-Jew. What's the halacha? Do they all have to go into the, into, they all have to chip in or is even one enough? So they said that as long as you have even one worker working for them, they're allowed to contribute and then we'll render it as a joint ownership of all the people living in the courtyard, even though they're just is one worker. Would you also say it then that it's going to be more restrictive, right? In other words, generally speaking, we know, and we said this, um, a couple of daffin ago again, we said that the, the dinim of Eruv are to be mekel, right? Chazal made their dinim to be mekel, not to be machmer. So if they said that when it comes to Schirah Lekite, he takes on the status as actually being one of the owners of that area, right? To enable that, that uh, contribution to render it as a joint ownership of everyone. Would we say it also to be machmer that if you have five and not all of them chipped in, then it's going to cause an issue? The Gemara says, Amar Rev Yehuda even if you have Sri even if you have Lekite, you could just give a chip in for the air, and that will be sufficient. Amr of Nachman. So Nachman says, Kama Ma'alia Hashmaitza. How beautiful this Shmaitza, uh, this uh, discourse was. Amr of Yehuda Mashmul says, Shasa Revias Yayin Al Yera. If someone drinks one Revias of Yayin, you're not allowed to pass in anymore, right? Revias of Yayin is a very small amount, two ounces or so, right? Amr of Nachman. When Nachman says, Nachman says, no, this is not such a good ruling. Right? If I didn't drink a, a, a revias, right, then my mind is not a, Tzalol is very clear, right? Basically, in, his mind was not settled until he had a little bit of wine. Right? You have to know about Rav Nachman, two things about Rav Nachman. First of all, Rav Nachman was a Dayan who is considered to be uh, an expert in Dine Cheshen Mishpat, in the laws of monetary... Um, adjudication, and he, he, he delved to the bottom of the law. And also, he was the son-in-law of the Reish Galusa, of the Exilarch, so he had a lot of, um, his sack was certainly carried out. Amalei Rava, Rava says, my time, Amar, Amar Hachi. So why did Mar speak? Why, why is Nachman speaking in, uh, to, um, probably both ways, yeah, let me see, Rashi, Zunava Zuenina, right, the fa- famous idea, right? I, I, I'm guilty of this also, right? Sometimes what you do is you get to up to a Gemara and the Gemara, like, it just works as we say, kafter v'farach, right? It's like a button in a buttonhole, right? Everything fits perfectly. Everything's beautiful. And you're like, wow, what a beautiful Gemara, right? And then sometimes you get up to the Gemara and you're like, 
this is strange, Gamara. It's, it's very difficult. I, I don't understand it so well, right? But but you're kind of guilty of of almost inserting yourself as if you have an equal say in the matter as to what they're saying, whether it makes sense or not, right? So the more proper way to say it would be like, wow, this Gemara really fits very nicely in my eyes, right? Or this Gemara, I, I don't really understand it so well, right? As opposed to sort of making a value judgment as to whether this Gemara makes more sense and that Gemara makes less sense, right? As if it's an objective thing, right? So the thing is that that's essentially what he did. He said, this is a beautiful ruling. That's not a beautiful ruling. So Rava says, oh, well, this is not how we talk about, about the about the sakim of the, those who came before us. Um, this is in Mishle. Right? If, if someone is a Raya of Zainis, uh, Zainis are, um, are prostitutes, and he will lose, he will lose everything. Somebody says that this, this memra is a good memra, this memra is not a good memra. Ma'abed, Aina Shal is losing. I'll lose the, the Taira, right? How does he lose the Taira? This could either be like more of a spiritual type of uh, punishment, right? That if you disrespect the words of Chazal, you're going to lose the table. Or I would imagine more, it's more of like a, a logical conclusion that to the extent you, you think of the Taira as you being the, the, the final arbiter of the Torah and not recognizing that we have to be machnia um, ourselves, we have to um, uh, abnegate our own sense of what makes sense to say, if this is what the Gemara says, it makes sense. Now I have to figure out what the Gemara means. But to the extent that we start thinking, I have just as much of a right to decide what makes sense as the Gemara did, right? Then you're really going to lose the Gemara because you're going to lose everything that you have of Torah because the only thing that you have is when you come to recognize what your limitations are, then you could really get the, to the with deep understanding of Torah. If you don't recognize your limitations, then your arrogance is going to cause you not to really come to a deep understanding. Amarle, Hajibis. So Nakam said, you know, indeed, I, I hear you saying loud and clear, I'm going to stop talking like this. Amarabaravuna, Shasai al Yispala. And you know, it's so funny, I was actually going to look up this Gemara yesterday, and, and uh, here it is. So someone who is drinking al Yispala is not allowed to daven. Right, so if he drinks a little bit, then even if he davens, it's okay. He's, maybe it's not good, but it's still, it is a tila. Shikr, the guy's actually shikr. He's, he's the mamish drunk. And if he davens, his tila is a te'eva. Exactly what this number is is a little bit um, not so clear, right? Like on Purim, are you allowed to daven shwanesrei, right? What's the case? What's the case of someone who has drank? What's the case of someone who is drunk? They were they were leaving each other on the on the banks of the river Yefti. Amru, they said, He says, say something that you never heard of before. In other words, each of us will say like a big novel thought that you never heard of. Right? This is a famous, famous, famous Gemara, right? And um, sometimes Rebbeim will do this when, when they're leaving, from the, when the student is leaving, they'll, they'll make this point. That when you leave from your friend, you should not leave without saying over it, Bar Halacha. Because through that, then you're going to come to remember your friend. And you'll remember your friend by the terror that he gave you. So one of them opens up his mouth and starts saying, What's the, what's the definition? What parameters of a, one who has drank? Parameters of one who is intoxicated, right? Anybody who's able to 
you drank a little bit, you're still able to speak in front of the king. Anybody you would not be able to speak in front of the king. If someone wants to take possession of the of the possessions of a uh, of a convert who died without leaving behind any relatives. So generally speaking, anybody who is Jewish, we say that there's no such thing as not finding relatives, right? Because there's always somebody's related. You go far back enough, you can find the relative of his who's still alive. But a convert has no halachic relatives at all. Convert dies. The law is that anybody who wants can take possession of his items, whoever takes possession first. And who takes possession of it, what can he do to ensure that it will stay with him? <laughs> what he should do is, oh, I see Rashi's explaining a little differently than I thought. Second. Interesting. Rashi says like this. If I take possession of, an, of a convert's things, people are going to be jealous of me, right? Why? Because I, I can't do it without any effort at all, right? I didn't put any effort. So therefore, it's not going to remain with me because it's going to be an ayin hara that will be placed on me unless I do a mitzvah with it. Probably, presumably, this also applies in case either of you ever win the lottery, right? Or Bitcoin goes back up again, right? So what you should do is you should buy a Sefer Torah with, your, with the proceeds. And with the, buying a Sefer Torah, that will end up protecting you from the, the curses that might come from people being jealous. Amr of Shesh of says, Afilu, even a, a husband who is inheriting his wife will also have the same sort of issue. And therefore, you should make sure to do mitzvahs with it so that these bad things don't happen. Wow, wow. Rav takes it even further. Rav says, a guy who made a nice, a nice profit, he did, did, a, did, a, he did a business transaction and he made a lot of money. He also should do this, right? This is on top of Meiser, obviously, right? This is on, saying that uh, on top of the regular Meiser, the regular percentage that you have to give the tzedakah, you should also make sure that you should take uh, a percentage of it and use it for a specific mitzvah of uh, maybe a sefer or something of that nature. Even if you found a lost item is also in the same category. Even if you, um, even just writing out tefillin, what does he mean to say? Right, so yeah, I thought that's what he meant. It doesn't have to be Dhaka Sifatera, even just writing out fillin, right? That's also enough so to protect your money that way you don't no longer have to be concerned for the ayin hara that will come from, from it having benefited without any effort. Micro, what's the possibility? It says, where is this? So I, I think this is the, the psukim that are talking about when the when the, the non-Jews came upon the Jews in the desert and they managed to get a, an Amma, right? They managed to get a maidservant from them, right? So the Jews basically said, if we are successful, then we will, we will um, give a vow to Hashem. So we see that, <coughs> excuse me, what the Gemara says is that this is a proof to our idea, that when you're going to be successful, you should make sure to give something of that, of that success to Hashem or else bad things will happen. Someone who walks a meal, right, which is um, 2,000 amas, or or if you have um, a little bit of sleep, and that's going to take away the, um, the, the wine, the, you know, literally weaken the effects of the wine. That's only true if you only drank Actually, if you drink more than a revius worth of wine, then um, walking and drink and sleeping will actually make you even more drunk. Now, 
to be clear, if we assume that wine is two point, that Revias is 2.2 ounces, we have to assume that either the wine is far, far, far more powerful or they were made a different constitution in those days because I think 2.2 ounces of, uh, you know, even 15% wine is just really, I don't know, it's just really not going to do anything at all. Um, not even enough to make Kiddush. Uh, well, 2.2, maybe. Well, so 2.2 might just be enough. Um, not 2.2 is not a revius, but 2.2 is a rave revius. It's most of a revius. You're right. It's a good point, Wayne. You're right. I, I'm getting, I get a little mixed up over there. You're right. The, the, the smallest measure of a revius is probably 3.3 ounces. Okay, but I still would make the argument that 3.3 ounces, even 50% wine, is just that, that means much. that you, you can't make Shabbos early. What if somebody came with uh, came to your door and you got a posk and something right before Shabbos and you made Shabbos early? You couldn't do it. One more time. Uh, I'm not getting the question. I said, even if you make Shabbos early, if a roof made Shabbos early, and somebody came to, to Paskin, uh, a Shiloh oh, he with them. Kiddush. He already made Kiddush. If you make Kiddush early on Friday, and somebody came, came to you to Paskin for them, you wouldn't be able to do it in this case. Um, you know, 2. I guess. 2 ounces, you make Kiddush on three. Right. No, I, I guess that is what it sounds like. Um, I, I want to say that maybe that the psak, I, I don't know if that means, let me look back at the previous album. Let me see if Rashi explains. It might mean psak as in like, um, like Besden giving a psak. I don't know if it means like if somebody comes to you and says, uh, you know, our refrigerator light is on, what are we allowed to do? Like, I don't know if it means just like saying over a, a halacha that you know is not the same thing, I don't think, as an actual like being asked to render a psak. Let me see if Rashi explains. Um, no, Rashi doesn't say. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I hear, I hear. I, I, I was thinking more of like a real psak, but yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. We should look it up in Shachan Aruch, maybe. Okay. Um, okay. So let's see where we up to. So we said, okay. Then we said, no, if you drink more than that, then it's actually going to make it even worse. Right, it'll make the, the walking and the drink and the sleeping will make it even worse. But derech mil mafiga yayin, and is that true that walking one mil takes away from the effects of the wine? But Tanya, we learned in a bright. So my Rebbe Gamaliel Shlachia Reicha Balachamar. Gamaliel was riding on a donkey. Vaya mahalach me akad lechaziv, and he was going from akad to kaziv. Vaya Rebbe Liyazer mahalach acher. Let's just walking after. Matzah galuskin b'derech to see a loaf of bread on the road. Okay, Amar lohu. So he says Eloi. So Gamaliel says to him Eloi. Tol galiskan min Pick up the galiskan from the road. Matzanachriyach. They find in Anju. Amar Lois. He says, "Mi mag mavgai mi bagoi." Not sure what this word is. Let me see. Ashi. I think it's a name. The name. Okay. Mi bagoi. Tol galiskan halolu mi Eloi. He says, "Take that loaf of bread away from from Eloi." So Eloi goes over to the non-Jew. Amar Lois says to him, "Hey, Chanata, where are you from?" Amar Lois. I'm from the Ayaris of the Borgen. The Borgenin are the, the people who, who watch over the fields, right? So I come from the city of the people who watch over the fields. What's your name? Mabgoi. Oh, there you go. That's the name. Mabgoi Shemani. That's my name. Kulam. Says, has Rabbi Gamliel ever met you before, right? The, how did you know your name? Amalais. He says, no. Laba is a Shalamanu. She says, so he says, no. So, but it's a Shalamanu. At that time, that word would you learn? had the ability to have some sort of some sort of divine inspiration. We learned three things at that moment. 
So first of all, you're not allowed to pass by on food that's lying on the floor. It's disrespectful. And also we said that um, the, the, um, you should assume that the food that you find on the floor was probably dropped by the majority of people traveling here. In other words, why did Rabbi Yilai say that Rabbi Yilai should give that food to, um, to this non-Jew? The reason is because he said you're allowed to give the food to non-Jew because the Jewish person probably didn't drop from a Jewish person. Therefore, you're not allowed to eat it yourself, so you have to give it to a non-Jew. And we also see that the chametz of pes of a non-Jew that was um, that fell after Pesach is mutter b'hana. How do we know the story happened right after Pesach? The Rashi just says shachar Pesach haya that uh, we, we knew it was after Pesach, right? In other words, that that was the whole statement. Had to be assuming that. Even shegiya lechaziv. Once you got the chaziv, ba echad lishael al anidre. Someone came and said, "Can you can you be matter my neder?" Amar leisit. Amar amar lezet shtiimai. So. Rabbi Gamaliel says to the one who was with him, Rabbi Eli, Did you drink uh, even a Revius worth of wine, of Italian wine? He says to him, yes. He says, walk after me until the wine gets weakened, then you'll be able to render psaq again. So, so how far is it? So he walks three milim. When he got to the Soma de Tor, then and he wraps himself up in, in his uh, garment for the, for the purposes of rendering sack. And then he is matter neder. What we see from there is that it was three mil until the wine wore off. I, I think also we see from there is that the type of case in which they were dealing with is a case of a real matter neder. It's not just a question of, you know, is this uh, is this a good hechsher or not? You know what I mean? It has to be more of a, of a real psak type of thing, where it's a bezdin rendering the psak. Okay, so how um, we learn from We learn many things from him at that moment. We see that even one revius of, of Italian wine makes you drunk. We see from there that someone who is shaker cannot pass And We see that walking causes the wine to get weakened. We also saw that when it comes to being made for nadarim, right? That if they made for nadarim, just to be clear, the, the halacha is that if you go to a court court can say, well, why did you make that nether in the first place? And if they can figure out what's called a Pesach, they can figure out a doorway that essentially you'll say that if I would have known that this is going to cause me X and X, X or X or Y hardship, I would never have made the nether, the vow in the first place. The see from here is that you, you can do this, but you can only do this if you are, you can't be riding on a horse, you can't be standing and you can't be walking. You have to be sitting, right? This is in general the halacha, that Bezdin has to be sitting when they render a Pesach. The Gemara gets to its question. Though. The question is that over there we see three meal, and over here we see even one meal. is extra extra. It will make you more potent and more likely to make you drunk, and therefore you need to even walk three meal to eliminate the effects before you can give up sack. If it's like a sherry or something, I don't know, 20%. Sorry, I skipped the line. So uh, here's the Gemara's question. The Gemara's question is, um, if you're right that Italian wine makes you more drunk than regular wine, well, the problem is like this. The problem is that we only ever said that one meal is going to walk it away when walking when it's walking after one revias. But if it's more than a revias, we said walking is actually bad. It'll make it more work. It'll make you worse off. 
So if so, then how is walking three mile going to solve the issue if drinking one Ravias worth of Italian wine is the equivalent to drinking more than Ravias of regular wine? Where it says, Rachav Shani, that when you're, when you're sitting on a horse and riding, that's not the same. The, the consequences, the negative consequences of sitting on a horse and riding after having too much wine is not the same. Where it says, Hashadah Sadachi, now that you're seeing this difference between wine, between riding on a horse after wine or, or walking after wine, well, then, what are you asking about Rabbi Abba either, right? That Rabbi Abba said one mil is good, right? And then we already did three mil. Well, it's just a very different case. Rachav Shani, the, the nature of, of riding after wine nature is very different than the nature of walking after wine, and there's no proof one way or the other. Any is it so? is going off on a sidetrack. We said before that you can only be made for another if you're sitting, not if you're walking, not if you're riding, not if you are standing, right? So the Gemara says, is that so? Tanayi, it's really a Tanayi. De'ika leman de'amar paislu mecharata. I'm sorry, I skipped the line again. Ba'amar Rav Nachman mefir nedarim be'im ha'alch be'inayim be'in reichav. Rav Nachman says explicitly that you can be made for another whether you're standing, whether you're walking, whether you're sitting. Gemara says it's Tanayi. It's really much like it's Tanayi. De'ika leman de'amar paislu mecharata. One man de'amar says you can you can start to to take away in the nether by saying that he regrets the original vow. As long as he regrets it, then that's it. Okay? And one, one of them says that you do not need to say, I have a regret why I made the value. You just say, you know what? It's not, there's nothing that if I had I known at the time that this would be a consequence, I wouldn't have taken that vow. You don't even have to say that. You just say, I feel bad about it. Was there anything new that came up that you wouldn't, had you recognized initially that this was going to happen and this would be a consequence, you wouldn't have taken the vow? No, even if there's nothing new, you're still enough. According to one time that you actually need to have, be able to say there was something earlier that if I had known this was going to occur, I never would have taken the vow. According to the second time, I knew everything was going to happen. And I just didn't realize it was going to be too hard. And that also works. What was the, what was the Pesach? What was the opening that Rebbe did for that individual to permit his vow to be nullified? So he says like this, Yesh buta ke and so this is in Mishle. And he says, Matkaras Kharev is the, um, like a, a sword, like we've been learning earlier about Makadar in the, in the hills, right? That it, it goes straight through it, right? So there is a beta that is like the, like the, the shavings or the piercings of a sword, but the, the tongue of the, of, the, of the wise ones, Marapa, will make you heal. Anybody who, in general, speaks these kind of things, in other words, someone who is taking vows, he really should, uh, he himself deserves that the sword should be run through his tongue, perhaps, right? Or maybe even through him. However, but the, the, the tongue of the sages will end up healing him and will take him away from having to get punished. Amar Mar, Mar says, that's only true in the earlier generations. When the Bnei Yisrael were not yet um, engaged in the act of, of uh, sorcery on food, but in the later generation, that the Jewish girls were also engaged in, in, in witchcraft and sorcery, right? And then you're allowed to pass over food because you were, you were allowed to be concerned that perhaps they made some sort of spell on the food, a voodoo spell, and who knows what will happen if you eat it. But before that, where there was no concern, then it was not permitted to pass over it because it would be, you're, you're causing the food to be denigrated. Tana, we learned in a b'raisa. Shleiman mavirin. If you have a, 
you have a whole piece of bread or a whole piece of food, then you're allowed to pass over because then you're going to be concerned for witchcraft. But if you have pieces that are already cut up and, and little little crumbs of it, then you don't have to be concerned. And therefore, you shouldn't pass over it. You should throw it in the garbage or you know, take, take care of it in a respectful fashion. Is it true that you don't make do uh, you know sorcery with these uh, crumbs? But we learned. There's a pasuk in in Yechaskel, um, and basically what he says is that you have profaned me, my nation, with Shale Sairim. With Shale is um, uh, like a, a, a bundle of Sairim um, of, of barley, and Psuse Lechem are uh, crumbs of bread, right? So you see that that itself is considered to be a sorcery, right? The Shakli Beigrayu. So not that they actually use this for their sorcery. What, what Yechezka was saying is that the people were taking crumbs as payment for the sorcery, but they didn't actually engage with the crumbs as part of their sorcery. Okay. 